Welcome to A Feminist in Progress, the podcast that's just about to admit it was wrong about something. I'm your host, Price, and today we're talking about She Said, the 2022 feature film adaptation of the book by New York Times journalists Megan Toohey and Jody Cantor, and how I, in a way, was wrong about it potentially being a poor adaptation of the book or an insensitive telling of real-life events. Hey, I can be wrong, and that's pretty much on brand when it comes to what this podcast is about. <laughs> anyway, let's get into the episode. <laughs> She Said was a film I initially had reservations about, finding it uncomfortable to think about how Big Hollywood was making a movie about systemic abuse in Big Hollywood itself. But then I watched the variety actors and actors dialogue between actresses Margot Robbie and Carrie Mulligan, the latter of whom stars in the film as one of the journalists who took on the investigative journalistic task of exposing the decade's worth of abuse by Harvey Weinstein. I mean, if you haven't listened to my series of episodes on the book, she said, I I highly suggest listening to that one before getting to this one, because there I kind of provide more details about the, the source material itself and why I'm talking about this film in the first place. Anyway, so I saw that video because, you know, ma. Much love to Margot Robbie and Carrie Mulligan. And they were talking about the film quite positively. So out of curiosity, I checked to see the film's critical reception. And it seems to have been taken positively both by critics and audiences. In fact, Shirley Lee's review of the film for The Atlantic encapsulates much of my own feelings about the film. And it Lee writes in a quote, she said it's not self-congratulatory. It's a reminder that empathy can require immense effort. And that, even then, such effort might not lead to a certain success. End quote. The film opens with a young woman coming across a film shoot and being in awe of the craft. She is invited to join the crew. Then the film cuts hard to her running in tears Immediately, we are shown that this film deals with sensitive subject matter without having to use exposition. This woman later turns out to be Laura Madden, one of the brave women who came out publicly to expose Harvey Weinstein's abuse. Then, in the film, we take our time getting to know our protagonists, Jodie Cantor, played by the amazing Zoe Kazan, and Megan Toohey, whom I mentioned earlier, is played by Carrie Mulligan. We get a backstory of Megan's prior experience of working on investigative journalism about powerful men being accused of sexual assault or other forms of abuse. We actually see her deal with Donald Trump when he was accused of sexual assault, and we also see the repercussions that such work entails. Whether it's a source being threatened and harassed, literally receiving shit in the mail, and even Megan herself receiving death threats and vitriol. 
Then there's also the fact that even when the accusations were made public, even when Megan Tuhi did her job, Trump still went on to win the U.S. presidency. We also have a glimpse of Jodi Cantor's life as a mother to two daughters. We follow her as she participates in a meeting where the idea of investigating sexism in Hollywood is brought up, and we stay with her as she begins the initial steps that led to the doors that was the Harvey Weinstein investigation. The film also does a good job of bringing up the experience of postpartum depression when we see Megan go through that after she gives birth to her first child. In a scene between the two characters, as Jody gets in touch with Megan to work on the investigation on Harvey Weinstein, there's an unspoken understanding between the two. Jody tells Megan, quote, It's the toughest part, I think. With my first daughter, I had postpartum depression. Everyone's excited, and it's just like, you're not there. And the experience is again touched on when Megan gets back to work, and another colleague, Rebecca, asks her if she's okay. Megan admits it's been difficult. Rebecca then asks, will working help? To which Megan answers in the affirmative. It's in scenes like this where Carrie Mulligan's powerful performance comes through. Her portrayal of Megan Tuhi is one of coolness and fierceness. Zoe Kazan, for her part, portrays Jodie Cantor as gentle but persistent. So the two characters are portrayed in such a way that personalities and temper not really temperaments, personalities or just the the way they carry themselves differ, but they're not pitted against each other. It's a film pretty much about two women helping each other as they do their work in order to help other people. Uh, it always stands out to me what Megan Tuhi says to sources or survivors or whoever that by telling the story, it won't change what happened to them, but it can hopefully stop something similar from happening to other people. The film's two-hour run takes its time telling the women's stories, and by this, I just don't mean the protagonist, but the stories of the women that Cantor and Tuhi interview and talk with so the sources so we take our time telling these women's stories through scenes of them disclosing to the journalists their experiences of weinstein's abuse and film being a language that is very visual we get some intercut flashbacks in order to build a richer image without ever being gratuitous and I think the film does a good job with this. So the screenplay deals with explicit verbal description, but it never forced you to sit there and literally watch someone be raped. Instead, you listen to the women. So when someone vividly describes being in the shower and crying in the shower in the hotel room, you get an image of 
a bathroom and you can hear the shower running. So your mind does its work for you. It forces you to be empathetic by really putting you in the situation without detaching yourself just by watching the thing happen to someone. And something powerful also happens when at some point in the film actually uses the audio from the the wiretapping or the police wire recording of Weinstein admitting that he groped uh, model Ambra Batiliano Gutierrez and visually we just see a, ho- uh, a hallway in a hotel but the audio is the actual audio recording of that one and I just I just found that powerful in the film does that where we the audience listen to the women the once promising young women who are not protected by a system that was designed to instead protect the interests of the powerful people who abused them from the abuser himself to the enablers and these accounts they don't hold back the vivid verbal description delivered by the actresses portraying the women victim survivors They were just as vivid as they were in the books. The performances of each of the actresses who portrayed these real-life survivors are actually all worth giving praise. Not a weak performance in all of those. Each actress showed strength and vulnerability and courage in sharing. The focus was less on the high-profile actresses who came forward with their stories of abuse at the hands of Weinstein And it was more focused on these women who worked with Weinstein. Well, worked for, if we were to highlight the power imbalance, the abuse there. But these women didn't have the social cachet to fight back against him. They were not Ashley Judd. They were not Gwyneth Paltrow. They were not Rose McGowan. No, these were real women who just wanted to work in the film industry but had their careers ruined because they decided to fight back or they wanted to bring someone to justice. There's also a sense of realism in the film with spot-on vocal imitations of actress Rose McGowan and even Harvey Weinstein, the, the, the vocal imitation of him when the scenes were them being in, in a conference call with Weinstein and it's it's so spot on that it's scary and yeah yeah that went off and part of what also contributes a sense of realism to the film and i'll admit sometimes it kind of like took me uh, away from being immersed in the film was having a cameo from ashley judd playing herself there was also a voiceover from lauren o'connor who is actually in the book she said who read uh, an excerpt from the memo that she filed which was a long detailed complaint about weinstein's behavior i don't think she was a victim herself but she was someone who quit after being in such a toxic environment and as i mentioned earlier the film also used the actual audio from when Ambra Batilana Gutierrez, another survivor of Weinstein's abuse, worked with the NYPD to get Weinstein on tape to admit to 
groping her the night before. And this is also something I talked about in my series of episodes for the book Catch and Kill by Ronan Farrow. Also check that out. The film is a journey of getting these women to trust the journalists enough to tell their stories. Getting evidence that would corroborate the accusations. The difficulty of putting the story together. Dealing with Weinstein's bullish behavior. And the power that comes when women come together and look out for one another. The film is by no means perfect. I agree with one review that said something along the lines of there not really being any stakes in the film, aside from the New York Times team trying to beat journalist Ronan Farrow to the punch. And the film kind of abruptly ends with the article being published. And then just a few kind of like texts of, you know, what happens afterwards. We are told, but we are not shown. While in contrast, actually the book simmers quite a bit with the aftermath, you know, by talking about the Me Too movement itself and, you know, other high profile things that happened as a result of that. This is why I would still recommend the book over the film. As much as I adore Carrie Mulligan and Zoe Kazan as actresses, and as much as I applaud the score by Nicholas Brittell and the screenplay by Rebecca, I'm about to botch her surname, Linky Wicks, the story written by Tuhi and Cantor themselves is much, much richer. It saw the bigger picture and it really just told a fuller story. But, you know, it, comparing films and books is like comparing apples to oranges, you know, whatever medium works for you. Yet, I'd still recommend seeing the film. If anything, it's a reminder that the fight still continues and that one abuser being exposed in a high-profile publication and getting jail time, these are not enough if we don't continue to bring to justice other abusers and change the systems that enable them. There's still more work to be done, I believe. Even when we find ourselves at that point where there's backlash to the backlash to the thing that's just begun. And yes, that's a Bo Burnham reference. Thank you for joining me in this episode of Feminist in Progress. This podcast is independently produced with no ads or sponsors. So if you find value in what I do and want to support the show, you can do so by giving a donation via the details that you can see in the episode description. Or you can simply help by word of mouth, sharing links to the episodes, following me on social media at Feminist in Progress Pod. Until next time, be a work in progress.